Okay. Um, the title of this evening is Coming Out as a Christian. So deliberately play on words because there are many groups out there coming out, aren't there? So how about Christians coming out? All right, has anybody come out as a Christian at work recently? You've been hiding it a little bit. Oh no, <laughs> Sasha. <laughs> Only just recently. <laughs> Okay, um, well, you'll get the drift of what I'm going to say, but here's, here's an interesting kind of uh, coming out I just want to read to you. Two cars are waiting at a spotlight. Uh, I think that's American for traffic light, right, because it's an American story, so I might have to translate a little bit for you. The two cars are waiting at a traffic light. The light turns green, but the man in the first car doesn't notice it. A woman in the car behind him watches the traffic pass around them. She begins pounding on her steering wheel and yelling at the man to move, and he doesn't move. The woman is going ballistic inside her car, ranting and raving as the man at the man, pounding at her steering wheel and dashboard, and then the lights turn yellow, which I think is American for go. Okay, so, green. Oh, no, perhaps it's yellow, then green. <laughs> she, I'm ruining the story. <laughs> Explanation. She begins to blow, you get the idea anyway. He, she begins to blow the car horn, flips him off and screams at him. The man hearing the commotion looks up, sees the yellow light and accelerates through the intersection just as the light turns red. The woman is beside herself, screaming in frustration as she misses her chance to get through the intersection. As she is still in mid-rant, she hears a tap on her window and looks up into the barrel of a gun held by a very serious-looking policeman. The policeman tells her to shut off her car while keeping both hands in sight. She complies, speechless, at what is happening. As she shuts off the engine, the police officer orders her to exit her car with her hands up. She gets out of the car, and he orders her to turn and place her hands on her car. She turns, places her hands on the car roof, and is quickly cuffed and hustled into the patrol car. She is too bewildered by the chain of events to ask any questions and is driven to the police station where she is fingerprinted, photographed, searched, booked, and placed in a cell. After a couple of hours, the police officer approaches the cell and opens the door for her. She's escorted to the, back to the booking desk where the original officer is waiting with her personal effects. Her hands in her bag containing her things and, and her hand, he, sorry, he hands her the bag containing her things and says, I'm really sorry for this mistake. But you see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, flipping that guy off and shouting at the car in front of you. And then I noticed the choose life license, license plate holder, the what would Jesus do? And follow me to Sunday school, uh, the bumper stickers, and the chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk. So I naturally assumed you had stolen the car. <laughs> haven't worked that out yet, see somebody at the end. <laughs> With that in mind then, <laughs> let's talk about coming out as, as a Christian. And uh, obviously that lady was, but not quite in the way you would hope or expect. So if you turn with me to 1 John, uh, I think this will magically appear behind me, wouldn't it, Elaine? Because Elaine was checking the thing. Oh, there he is, look at that. 1 John. And um, 
Let me just, this, this is really introduction to a series on 1 John. For a little while now, we felt it's about, to, about time we got back to the Bible. Right, if you hadn't those. And <laughs> obviously we've been, t- you know, there are kind of, in, broadly speaking, in preaching terms, there are two ways to preach, aren't there? Either topically, and we've done quite a lot of that, but we occasionally want to dip back into a whole book. So we're actually in the next few weeks, next Sunday evening, I'll be doing 1 John, uh, the next uh, couple of, well, the next chapter. And um, then I'll flip over into the morning, and the morning guys will get one John, the first two talks uh, in the sort of third and fourth weeks of January. Uh, you'll get you'll get Pete actually on the third week here if you're a regular in in the evening. But we're going to work, work our way through one John because there's something very important about kind of grasping the teaching from a whole letter. You get the whole picture. You get some of the things which, when you preach topically, you don't often preach on and uh, often preachers are then, in a sense, kind of forced to tackle subjects that otherwise, you know, they, they wouldn't force, uh, wouldn't force, they wouldn't look at, because uh, they're scared. No, because, <laughs> because you need to work through uh, in that, what they call an expository way. Um, there are different ways of preaching through books. Uh, some of you may be familiar with people go a verse at a time. So one whole talk might be on one verse. Somebody once preached Romans and took several years, get, as you imagine, getting through Romans doing that. If you are familiar with Martin Lloyd-Jones, anybody know that name? Put your hands up if you've heard of Martin. Come on. What such deep Bible teaching that you've received. Um, actually, it was a guy called John Stott, in uh, the late John Stott, who kind of took that sort of approach. We would take a whole chunk of a chapter, not necessarily a whole chapter, but a whole chunk of it. I'm actually going to take all of chapter one and part of chapter two this evening. Are you ready for that? So, yeah, we should finish about midnight, but um, here we go. So what kind of year are we looking forward to? What kind of year uh, are, is summer, you know, <laughs> it was a funny deal. Did you feel, feel it was a strange deal this Christmas? You know, Mrs. Mrs. May announced we're not going to have that vote. So you're not going to know what's going to happen about Brexit, although some of you may be thinking, yeah, well, is that vote going to get through? Are we going to crash out of, you know, the EU come, come March? There's a lot of uncertainty about, isn't it? Uh, we did a, a whole issue of moral issues. Some of you, anybody go to those, those uh, connect groups? Yeah. Um, if you've, well done for getting the whole way through, if you got the whole way through. But, I mean, the, the world is full of issues that need to be dealt with, isn't it? Not, um, my evening was around gender issues. There are so many different people you can be these days. Okay, they once, uh, I think it was uh, Google did a survey and they came up with, from their responses, at least seven, 70, not seven, but 70 different identities. And you might have heard phrases like, you know, it shouldn't just be a binary choice. Why have I got to choose between being a man and a woman? Right? Maybe I would like to be a little bit of both. And maybe some days I like to be male and sometimes I like to be female. Who's forcing me into that choice? And in a sense, they've kind of got a, a point. Because who defines who you really are? And we know as Christians that God defines who we really are. And when we come into our true identity, we really do know. So actually, we have an amazing message to give to people, don't we? So don't get despondent about the confusion that's around you. Well, you know, you can be concerned about it. But don't be, so, don't be despondent about it in as much as as you come out as a Christian, actually your testimony becomes clearer and clearer. So some years ago, 
in the smaller church we ran in, in Gravesend, I remember somebody having a prophetic word where he said, I can see the darkness around in the world just getting darker. But it's like the Christians are homes with their lights on. And when it's daytime, the lights don't seem very obvious. But as the evening comes on, of course, the light suddenly becomes to be more evident. And clearly, as the darkness gets darker, suddenly the lights shine brighter. So the biblical pattern for you and me is that as the world seems at least to be getting darker and drifting further and further away from biblical values, we ought to say, Amen. Not because we're rejoicing in, you know, sin and evil kind of having more success, but actually your light and my light is actually going to get brighter. Put your hand on your heart. Say, I am going to get brighter. How did Jesus, what did Jesus say to you? Not only did he say, I am the light of the world, he said, you are the light of the world. Just say, say to the person next to you, I am the light of the world. Or better still, say this, we are the light of the world. Do this, you know, you and me, we are the light, we are the light of the world. Which reminds me of Meet the Parents, you know, Robert De Niro. I'm looking at you, Fokker. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's his name, if you don't know the film. Right. You have to be careful how you say it. <laughs> well, why can't we imagine headlines like in the UK, the church is resurgent. It, uh, it amazed the media when they were cover. Uh, you know, I saw a news, uh, a news article where they were saying, Attendance at cathedrals, this is interesting, isn't it? attendance at cathedrals is increasing in the UK. And then the program went on to try and, try and explore that a little bit, isn't it? There is a move, on the one hand, there are people seem to be going further away from God, but actually God is doing far more than we can ever think or imagine. I always imagine that, you know, the Christian church is like an iceberg, isn't it? We don't know the half of what's below the surface. So I had a phone call. I had the joy of getting a phone call during the week uh, from the Billy Graham organization. I thought, gosh, you know, I know, it can't be to can Billy come and preach here because, you know, he's now in heaven. But, uh, <laughs> but what it was, one of our members of a church is, has volunteered to be a disciple, a sort of follow-up to the, to the people who are responding to the Peace at God website, which is the Billy Graham Association website. And each day, each day... In the UK, on average, 30 people are going on that website and praying the prayer and getting saved. A day! So, you know, that's, that's your church. Remember, that's the church that you belong to. So if anybody says, how's your church doing? Do you know 30 people are becoming a Christian through my church every day? Because what we, what we tend to do as Christians, we tend to think, oh, that's somebody else's success. No, what, what a shame we're not seeing that here. And immediately we kind of, you know, the, the good news becomes a discouragement. Isn't it? What we need to recognize is that we probably have had years of discouragement, of lack of breakthrough. And what is that produced in our life? Is we, oh, I'd love that. If only it was happening here. Rather than saying, it is happening here. It's what we encourage people to believe about healing, isn't it? 
that we don't look at. We, we long to see people being healed through, you know, our prayers and our ministry. But when that's not happening, we should be rejoicing because in our church, my church, your church, cancers get healed. You know, all sorts of things happen, you know, get, you know all sorts of things get healed. That's your success. Because we are a body. And in this individualistic kind of Western world, we need that kind of teaching. The sort of thing, Pete, if you haven't, uh, you know, get hold of Pete's podcast, although you'd probably do it here in a couple of weeks' time. That's a bit of a spoiler, isn't it? But anyway, um, you know, where he's talking about reminding us that we are part of a body. Some of us are hands and feet, and, but we're all part of the same body. So we share in that success. So when you're at work or with your friends and you want to talk about healing, you don't have to just think about what you've done, but actually what your church is doing because you are part of that body of Christ. And that's just local, let alone what God is doing beyond. But 30 people a day getting saved. How can we get to a place where, you know, we really see the church being resurgent? Well, you know, God's plan, A, is you and me. And he doesn't have a plan B. That's exciting, isn't it? God's not going anywhere. You've already passed the interview and you're in. Right? You qualified as soon as you got born again. You don't have to do anything in particular. You just have to believe, you know, in Jesus. You're in. Are you in? Raise your hands if you're in. Come on. Some of you are double in. You know, it's like, uh, hallelujah. Okay. Coming out as a Christian. Let's look, let's look at... Um, the first part of John, we're going to read a section, talk about it, read another, do a bit of an activation, right? Just so that I don't lose you. <laughs> but here's, here's one, John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, at uh, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. I've got four invitations, well in fact five, but four main ones. Four invitations, and I felt during the worship, actually, God was showing me that these invitations were like an open door to you. And when I get to, in a few minutes, I'm going to introduce you to the first open door, which I'm going to invite you to open. Most likely, most likely, it's the Apostle John that wrote 1, one John. There is some dispute in some circles around that, but certainly in evangelical circles, it's not much a, a debate. And it's interesting that, that those verses look very, you know, look very similar to the opening of John's Gospel. You know, the beginning was the Word and so on. Um, and so John starts his epistle by talking about, obviously, Jesus and the life he has, his, he has given. In fact, the word life... You know, it comes at least three times, in fact, really five times, because when he talks about fellowship in verse three, you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. Really, the word fellowship is, you know, it means shared life. So the whole emphasis of these few verses is simply this, that we have met, you know, the life, and we've received the life. The word of life is Jesus. He's come into our lives and we are now alive in him. It's interesting that he ends this passage with, and we write this to make our joy 
complete. How do you know you've got life? Well, one of the witnesses to that in your life is that joy returns, doesn't it? You come into joy. Now, we know in the Christian walk, you can sometimes lose that joy. It was delightful. Was it Emma who brought that word earlier? Where's Emma? She's here. So that was you at the back, right? You could just see the joy of the Lord over you. Okay, now you can close your eyes. <laughs> so the context of John is that there are some teachers and false teachers, some of whom are maybe even still in the church, but some of them have actually left. And they've been confusing the, the Christians. So John, you know, we're, we're false teaching. So John, right from the beginning, saying, look, we saw Jesus. And he imparted life to us. And so one of the things that's going to help you to be certain about your walk with Jesus is that you have sensed that life inside you. So the door that God wants to open right now, just imagine it. Just imagine you're stepping, you know, you're in front of that door again, whether you've received life or whether you want to receive more of it. Just open that door. In your mind's eye, in your imagination, open that door. Say, God, you know, just go through the door and enter into the life. Because through that door, there is more of the shared life with the Father and the Son. See, the Father and Son have, have dwelled together in life, in relationship with one another for all eternity. And so they have an eternal life to share with you. God just wants to come now, and I, I believe that there are almost like areas of your life where you just need to see life being breathed on them. One of the things we like to say at Eastgate is, you know, is God breathing life onto, you know, that project or that area of your life? Or maybe there's, you know, you feel, well, you know, almost like sometimes, you, you know, we, sometimes we just go through times of spiritual dryness we think god i can't you know i want to get back into the life you are the way the truth and the life you know we sang that this evening so let the holy spirit just impart his life afresh to you now if you believe in me rivers of living water will flow from you through you and from you I've come to give you life and life abundant. So press in for it. You can receive it. You can receive more of it right now. Because Holy Spirit is here and he loves to bring life. And if there's some areas of your life, Lord, breathe on my marriage. Bring life. Breathe on my family life or my children and bring life just release his life you are life releases because of the life that you have in you father breathe life over my children right now lord breathe life over my work let it be a joy to do the things that i do lord breathe life over my relationships let there be joy in my relationships with others Because I want to share the life of God. And I want to step into more of what you promised me. Amen? All right, hold on to that one. That was the first door. 
Let's read the next passage, shall we? This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, this is verse 5, declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for all our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So what's this second door then? Well, the second invitation, really, into that door, we said, come into life. Now, come out of sin. Now, what's John saying here? You know, we love to preach here that we're not sinners. Right? Anybody a sinner tonight? Good. What? Oh, yeah. What, what to see if you are. Okay. <laughs> in which case, we'll do with that in a moment. <laughs> but actually, we're not so much sinners as saints, aren't we? Why? Because when you become a Christian, you are made holy. Holy, acceptable to God. Holy and blameless before him. So all your previous sin has been dealt with. It has been totally forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. And not only are you cleansed and forgiven, but he puts his righteousness inside you. You are in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus is in you. Is there any sin in Christ? No. Right? If you think Jesus was a sinner, then you've had it. There's no salvation for you, because only a sinless man can die for sin. Only a perfect lamb was made as a sacrifice in the Old Testament, and Jesus is the perfect lamb of God who has died in our place. Only Jesus can deal with your sin. Only the death of Jesus can deal with your sin. And when you repented and put your faith in that reality, so you were forgiven. There was an act of transfer. Your sin was laid on Jesus so that you could be forgiven and come back into relationship with the Father. That's the amazing gospel. That's the amazing good news of Jesus Christ, that you are now reconciled. There is peace. Before you were lost and now you've been found. Before you were dead, now you're alive. Before you were blind, now you see. That's the glorious truth, isn't it? But you are now made righteous in his sight. If you were to die tonight and stand before a holy God, you would be received into heaven with open arms. What if you just sinned a few seconds before that happened? Is that the end? Are you going to hell? You know, after all that hard effort of your Christian life, have you blown it? No, you haven't. Why? Because the work that's been done in you is a finished work. And nothing can unravel it. Yeah, but what if I sin after that? Well, what do you do if you sin after that? You do exactly what you did when you first became a Christian. You simply repent, 
confess that sin and ask God to forgive you. And the same death of Jesus on the cross, the same forgiveness that you received then is still powerful for you now. So in one sense, you see, John has to write to them. Why is he writing to them to the to, to, to them about this at all? Well, because of the false teaching that their false teachers have taught. That's why they're false teachers or false prophets. And what it's thought that probably what was happening in 1 John was an early form of what they call Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was kind of, at its heart, was the idea that what you needed was some secret knowledge. Nobody was quite sure what that secret knowledge was. And like most mystery ideas, you know, nobody really lets you, it's like conspiracy theories now. You know, nobody really knows the answer. That's what's so intriguing about it. And some of the some of the Christians in the churches that John's writing to have been sucked into that false idea. And so much so that they thought, well, I just need the secret knowledge. It doesn't really matter if I sin. Oh, I've got the secret knowledge. Have you got it, brother? You haven't got it. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, then it becomes a kind of religion of condemnation and guilt, isn't it? You know, oh, you've got the secret knowledge. Okay, never mind, you know. I'm, I'm going to the next level of celestial bliss and not quite sure where you're going because you haven't got the secret knowledge. Actually, there's no secret in the mystery of the gospel. Have you noticed that? It's plain and obvious. It's so plain. Jesus made it, or God made it so plain. He hung his son on a cross so that everybody could see him. It was an historical fact. And three days later, raised the same son who was witnessed not only by his disciples but 500 other people. On different occasions, in different places, so they weren't hallucinations, and they weren't being made up by their disciples. And if it had been made up with disciples, it would have been easy to produce the body and disprove it. No, it's an actual physical fact. An historical fact. And it's been proclaimed ever since. It's no mystery about it. I mean, in one sense, it's, you know, you can't get to the bottom of it. And the depth of meaning, so it's mysterious in that. But the plain truth is Jesus died so you could be forgiven. So what John is saying here is, look, don't don't go down the way of that sort of secret knowledge nonsense. Just believe the plain and obvious. Jesus has died for you. Jesus has risen again from the dead for you. That is the good news. He's alive today and you can know him and you can receive his forgiveness. You can receive his righteousness. You know, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. So if you sin, even though you have been now made holy, there is still this kind of sinful tendency which doesn't make you a sinner. You are not a sinner. Let me suggest that to you very strongly. You are a saint. That is the most, the most common description in the New Testament of a New Testament believer is a saint. And we have been robbed of that sense of identity by the idea that somehow sainthood is something that you attain, something that you work up to, something that you have to perform at least two miracles in the Catholic Church for. As I like to say to people, you probably exceeded that already anyway. Who's done at least two miracles in the name of Jesus? Come on, well, that's at least. I mean, so on that. Now, I'm not suggesting that is a basis for your sainthood, by the way. <laughs> just in case you were you were wondering. But even if it was, you've qualified. But actually, it's not. You qualified by doing absolutely nothing. 
What? Well, I, I repent. Yeah, you repented and you put your faith in something that is entirely done by somebody else. Jesus. That's the genius of the gospel, isn't it? So it doesn't matter where, where you are in the world and whoever you are talking to. This is why, you know, some people think Christianity is exclusive. Well, in one sense it is. Jesus is the only way to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. But at the same time as being exclusive, it's wholly inclusive. Because everybody can access it. Whether they're good or bad in the world's, you know, world's eyes, whether they've been led a, a saintly kind of life, well, saintly in inverted covers, <laughs> life, you know, a bad life, a good life, everybody. This is what's so offensive when people say, well, you mean murderers can become Christians and go to heaven? Yes! There's a murderer who wrote half the New Testament. I mean, Paul didn't literally throw the stones at Stephen, but he stood there and witnessed it and approved of it. That's pretty close, isn't it? And then he writes half of the, half of the New Testament. At least a lot of the letters. So if you put all the Gospels together, it's less than half. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Okay? And if Paul can get saved, then anybody can. And people are far worse than Paul. Do you know, even good people get saved. That was my problem. I thought I was good. I'm not a sinner. You know, I help old ladies. I don't know why we used to say that. Did you used to say it? You know, I'm a good person. I even, you know, I, I, I help old ladies across. I'd never helped an old lady across the road, actually. <laughs> but it was kind of an illustration of those days. You know, I'm a good person. And actually, God had to convict me. How do you compare with Jesus, David? Ah, that's a bit different, isn't it? And God hold, held up Jesus as a mirror to my life. And that's when I realized I was a sinner and I need to be saved. So here's a door. Here's, here's an invitation. Really, that, that John is saying, take sin seriously, but only for a moment. Sin will bother you because you live in a sinful world. And that's okay as a Christian. It's okay to be bothered by the sin and the evil around you. And to let God draw out his compassion in you. But when you sin in your own personal life, be bothered about it, but only for a few seconds. Why? Because forgiveness is completely available for you. There is absolutely no reason why you, whatever you do that's wrong, cannot simply immediately, immediately, say with me immediately, immediately ask God to forgive you, and he does. See, the good news isn't just good news when you get saved. It's good news for the rest of your life. That'd be a strange deal, wasn't it? You know, I get forgiven all my past sin, but you know, God's going to keep an eye on me as I go along, and you know, and it's, it's entirely possible I could trip up, and boy, I'm going to be in deep water when that happens. And that's probably going to happen quite a lot. So, you know, I'm going to live in fear and condemnation for the rest of my life, but you know, maybe I'll, eventually I'll scrape into heaven. I came to give you life and life abundantly, but you'll have to deal with guilt and condemnation and you know, blah, blah, blah. That's not how he intended it. What's the genius? What's the, almost like the mechanism, well, that's the wrong word for it. The relationship that you have with, with Jesus is you get immediate forgiveness. You, so you're living in this abundant life. And not, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've been set free from the law of sin and death and you're now released into the spirit of life.
and grace and love. No wonder you can come out as a Christian. Come on. Go out and tell everybody right now. That's what Mark wanted to do earlier, actually, when we were doing the... <laughs> He's an evangelist. No, no. I didn't say that. <laughs> well, he is an evangelist, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do the same. In fact, his job is to make us like that, isn't it, Mark? Okay. So seriously, if you have not put your faith, this is, and I know many of you will have done this, if you've not put your faith in Jesus, then look at his love for you and his forgiveness for you and open up your hearts and receive him. Do that at some point, even while I'm talking now. Respond in your heart to Jesus. Come into life, come out of sin, and come into his love. Got time to one more story. I like this one. This is somebody coming into love. Wrong book. This is one. Oh, there it is. A child psychologist moved into a newer neighborhood. He had a particularly irritating habit of correcting parents in the estate for their bad parenting. <laughs> Anybody got a neighbor like that? <laughs> Your kids, you know. If he had saw something, uh, if he saw something he didn't like, he would come out of his house and say to the parent, that's not the way, love's the way, love's the way. After a few moment, m- months of this, the local residents were getting decidedly annoyed. You can imagine. One day, the child psychologist was laying a new path in front of his house. A teenager came careering down the street on his BMX bike, but lost control and went plowing through the wet cement. The child psychologist, in a fit of rage, cuffed the boy on the ear. His mother, watching him, uh, watching from her window, jumped for joy. (laughs) She dashed out of her house, looked the psychologist in the eye and said, that's not the way, love's the way. Loves the way, to which the child psychologist replied, Ah, yes, but I was talking about love in the abstract, not in the concrete. (laughs) What's that got to do with the next passage? Let's read the next passage. (laughs) Therefore, so verse 9, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. So I've skipped a little bit, but that's partly because of time. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Now, remember that John is trying to bring certainty. If you look in chapter 5, he actually states this. In the whole of his letter, he's trying to help these Christians know that it can be certain in their faith. And how does he do that? Well, he gives them two criteria to know that they truly are born again. One is what he's just said about the death of Jesus. That the death of Jesus purifies you from all... Or the blood of Jesus on, on the cross purifies you from all sin. That's the objective truth. That's the outward truth that you know that you're a Christian. Because you have believed that. And you've received his forgiveness. The other thing is an interesting one. He says, in fact, we should have read that passage a bit earlier in verse 3. It says, for we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Now, here it gets a little bit tricky. Now, just try and follow me for this moment. So what John is saying is here, you know that you're a Christian because you obey his commands. You are walking or attempting at least to walk like 
Jesus. And that should encourage you. It's like the Salvation Army lass who was working in the, in the days when people had servants, you know, in, this will be in the Victorian days. She said this, when she became a Christian through the Salvation Army, she says, I know I've become a Christian because I no longer sweep the dust under the carpet. That little action demonstrated to her that she had changed. Now, that wasn't the only thing that she did. But she, you know, if she did that on a regular basis, because, you know, she was, she was cleaning the house every day, thought, oh, just get a bit of this under the carpet, nobody will notice. The sign of her Christianity was she didn't do that any longer. In other words, she was operating from a different standard, wasn't she? She was operating by God's standard. And that showed her that her, you know, that she had been born again. That was the, Outwards, if you like, you know, something had happened inside them, her, uh, inwardly, but outwardly her actions confirmed her faith. So I was driving to church this morning, and, uh, now I live in a village, you know, there's, you know, we go down a little narrow lane, and there was a tree branch on the other side of the road, and I, you know, I thought, oh, glad that's not on my side of the road, and sort of, I'm about 300 meters down the road thinking, yeah, but the people coming the other way, they won't see it so easily. In fact, it was just off a bend. So, you know, I was thinking, well, you know, I've got to get to church. It's, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got to be at the front of the church. I've got to talk to the hosting team. But now we just, and we've got to pick somebody else up. But what if somebody comes along and goes into that tree branch? It's really right across half of the road. And I was fine. What if they come round the bend and have a tragic, tragic accident? Inside me, I think I know the right thing to do. Stop the car, reverse it, go back. Put the, you know, the, the, what, the flashing lights, hazard lights, the key, you know, on, take the branch over, chuck it, uh, 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 chuck it over in the ditch, and, uh, then get back in the car. Why have I done that? Well, because something inside me has compelled me to do it. My, hopefully, my, my love for my neighbor, and they will never know. In fact, they, because the branch is there, they won't even know there's a hazard. But as I was driving down the road here, I would have known. The love of God, in a sense, compelled me to do that. Now, here's the danger, isn't it? The danger is, as Christians, we think, well, how many good things have I got to do to really sort of know that, you know, that I'm changed? Well, it's not, you know, that's the wrong question to ask. The right question to ask is actually, do you know what? I'm compelled to do the right thing. Even if I don't always do the right thing, I am compelled. Why? Because something has changed inside me. I have a new nature. It's not perfect in terms of my behavior yet. It's perfect in terms of, you know, my relationship with God. And there were, there will always be mistakes I make. But of course, when I make a mistake or I, you know, you know, I commit a sin, what can I do? I can be forgiven for it. I'm totally cleansed. I'm, you know, that's a great way to do, then move on to the action and do it right the next time, isn't it? So all of you, you know, you kind of get it, you get safeguarded both ways. God's done something in you, and when you demonstrate that you're following in the footsteps of Jesus, that is to confirm your faith. In other words, it's okay to say, do you know what, I did the right thing. Actually, doing the right thing sometimes painful, isn't it? Sometimes it goes against, you know, the culture that's around you. You know, not telling lies or covering things up at work. It goes against sometimes the culture in your workplace. You know, just being open and honest with people. I remember my next door neighbor, he was in construction and he, you know, we were talking about, um, doing something on the front of my house. 
Alan said, it's all right, Dave, I can do a deal for you, you know, and, you know, we, we'll sort of not declare it and you won't have to pay, you know, pay tax on it. And I need, I, you know, I wasn't saying anything. I was thinking, well, what, Dave? It's one of those awkward ones, isn't it? You know, if you've ever been in that situation, somebody offers you a deal just to kind of get around the, you know, the tax. And then he looked at me and said, oh, because you wouldn't do that, would you? Because you're a Christian. <sighs> what relief. <laughs> I said, that's right. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. And, you know, what he offered never happened. And, uh, but I was so pleased. I'd come out as a Christian. He knew that. That's not just a boast about me, but actually that's so confirming, isn't it? And every day, therefore, you have the opportunity to confirm your own faith. So when those doubts come along or, you know, you wonder really how you're getting on in your Christian life. Well, what's it been so far? Pretty good. John's actually saying that. He's writing in the context where people were uncertain about their faith. And they're saying two things you need to grasp. One is Jesus died for you. The other thing is look at the way your life has changed. That's, that's very different from saying your life's perfect and you don't make mistakes. But look at the good things. You, yes, something inside you that you, wants to be good now. Go with it. Holy Spirit is inside you. And he's just waiting. There are acts of God. You know, good, good deeds that have been stored up for you to do. Right? There's something amazing you're going to do tomorrow. Do you know that? Some of you are not sure. Well, I'm going to get up, have my breakfast, go to work, you know, come back. Feed the kids, go to bed, you know. <laughs> There's something amazing. You see, it's a bit like chopping a tree down, isn't it? You know, you do one bit at a time. I mean, I'm imagining a big thick tree, not a little one. <laughs> and a little, a little bit at a time and it comes down. What you're doing in your life is that every day you're building victory after victory after victory. Every time you do something good, every time you resist a sin, every time you do a good work, you're building something into your life. You're building certainty. So God does his stuff about certainty and you can do your stuff. And it's there to confirm your faith. Turn to the person next to you. I've got an amazing good thing to do tomorrow. It may be as little as a nice kind word. It may be a good deed. It may be giving somebody something. It may just simply be praying for somebody. You know, I felt a bit of a fraud because somebody said to me, did you pray about that? I said, yes, I did. You know, it was quite a big thing in this person's life. Yes, I did. And I was thinking, probably for about five seconds, which doesn't sound a very impressive prayer, does it? But I thought, I have a loving God, a good father. And if I pray for five seconds, he listens to every second of my prayer. Doesn't say in the Bible you've got to do five hours of praying, although, you know, if you want to do five hours of praying, feel free. You know, often, uh, here's, here's a little clue to pastoral leadership <laughs> or any leadership or just your Christian life. When somebody says, please pray for me, I always say, yes. I'm not promising that I'll be on my knees for two hours and, you know, unless God leads me to do that. But I know that in an instant, I can pray to God, God, the almighty ruler of the universe, hears my prayer and does something about it. Amen? And you have the same God. So whenever, you know, don't be mealy-bouffed about, think, well, we'll have time to pray. 
pray straight away. God is listening. He, you have his ear every day. You have his ear all the time. Why? Because you're a precious son of God. You are seated with him in heavenly places. He's waiting for your next thought. Goodness me, does he really? How does he cope with that? I have no idea, but then he's God. Let's quickly do the last thing. So that's there to confirm your faith. What's the last one? Come into empowerment. If you go back, and I do suggest that you, you study this passage and read it through and get you know, more than I've, I've been able to convey this evening. But there's this rather strange, end, uh, strange bit in the middle of chapter 2 where he says, I write to you, this is verse 12, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Now, notice this. It's not difficult to miss. He repeats almost to word for word the same things. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. When scripture repeats something, we need to take notice, don't we? And here is John John, John, you know, he's, he's, he's a bit of an uneven writer, actually. He's suddenly kind of gone into this. And he hasn't really told you about it, but it does kind of link with all the other things we said. Because here's John saying, you know, here's an invitation, your fourth invitation this evening, this open door to encourage one another. Come into empowerment. I try to summarize, you know, the, what he said there by, by simply saying this. What are the kind of things that we can say based on what John was saying to the people in the churches? You can say, you have been forgiven. You know the eternal God. You have overcome the evil one and you are strong. The word of life lives in you. Okay, you ready to do this? Turn to the person next to you, say, you have been forgiven. And you know the eternal God. And you have overcome the evil one. You are strong. The word of life lives in you. Now, do you really believe that of the person sitting next to you? That's the challenge, isn't it? It's not to bring any condemnation around that. It's just to challenge you. I said this morning that I was sitting, 10 years ago, I was sitting in a meeting and sort of over in the back here with a nice check shirt, just as I'm wearing today. And this lady, this was over in Bethel in Reading, she looked at me and said, you are a champion. In fact, you are, a, what's your name on the back? Yeah, Helen. Helen, you are a champion. And you are winning victories now that you're hardly aware, aware of. That, that's all she said. What she, in addition to what I think she, the prophecy was about, saying, I, I am a champion now. I am an overcomer. And I'm winning victories in my life, which are actually going to be other people's victories. Because I'm demonstrating just by faithful Christian living each day, I'm winning victories in my life, which actually are going to bring liberation and freedom to other people in the future. So turn, turn to yourself and say, I am a champion. I'm winning victories now which are going to bring victories in other people's lives in the future.
That's your first, your fourth sort of invitation, the fourth door that we've opened. So if you are to successfully come out as a Christian, then invite God's life into you each day. I was, I was praying the other day. I prayed all sorts of things. And I, th- I felt God say, you've left something out, David. I said, what's that, Lord? Oh, yeah. Holy Spirit, I need you. <laughs> I can't do any of this that I've just prayed about unless you come and work for my life. Right? You've invited life to come. Come out of sin and just let God deal with it on a daily basis if it's a daily thing. Sometimes you get to the, you know, sometimes I get to the end of the day and I haven't sinned. Come on. Is that possible? Well, it seems to be. I do ask God. I said, God, search me and know me. And if there's anything that's in me that's, you know, I'm not saying you need to, that's a standard you need to attain to. But actually, I work on the basis of if the Holy Spirit doesn't reveal anything, then I haven't got anything to worry about. Because the Holy Spirit will reveal all I need to know. Because he will lead me into all truth. And if that truth is that I need to repent of something in my life, then he'll show me. Doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. If you know me, you know some of my mistakes. (laughs) So come into life, come out of sin, come into love, walk in obedience to him, and come into empowerment. We need each other and, you know, and we need to encourage one another, don't we? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for 2019. Father, we are looking forward to this year with encouragement and with fresh enthusiasm. Because, Father, we know that you are doing something wonderful in our nation and in our church. You are healing the sick, raising the dead. You are bringing people into new life. So, Father, whatever opportunities you give us, to live for you, to come out truly with our faith, both in what we do and who we are and what we say. And Father, fill us now with your Holy Spirit so we will be empowered to do all for your glory. Amen? Amen. Bless you.